continue our Sunday evening theme for the year, our topic of understanding the times. First uh, Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 is our theme verse. The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So this year we decided that on Sunday evenings we'd talk about some things that we don't understand. Uh, some things that are happening in this world, some moral questions, some uh, all different kinds of things that sometimes we just don't understand how we got to where we are, how that happened, and we sometimes don't know what to do about it. So that's kind of our uh, practice is to go through these different topics, and tonight's the 13th topic that we've uh, handled or tackled. And we kind of look at the way it is, the signs of the times. We look at what the Bible has to say about some of this. And then we try to finish up with a, uh, an understanding of not only understanding what is happening, but what do we do about it, a Christian stance on each of these topics. So tonight we're tackling one I've been thinking about for quite a while and finally did enough study that I feel like we can, we can tackle it. And that's the topic of Islam. Uh, let me make a few disclaimers before we start talking about uh, Islam. Uh, first of all, uh, you're not listening to an expert. There are a whole lot of people that have studied this a whole lot more than I have and know a whole lot more uh, about that religion. Uh, so I'm definitely not an expert, but that's the bad news. The good news is I don't think anybody's an expert. Uh, it is a religion that is unique to me in, in one sense, uh, of the, the depth of disagreements about what Islam really is. Uh, as an example, if you watch talk shows, if you put a, a Christian and an atheist on there to talk about Christianity, they'll disagree pretty wholeheartedly. Uh, the atheist will point out all the bad things, and Christian will find out all the good things, and they'll argue and argue. If you put two Christians on to talk about it, a very liberal one and a very conservative one. They'll disagree about things, but they'll pretty well agree on the basics of what Christianity is. But the religion of Islam, you can watch talk shows and have people discussing it who are both Muslims. And they aren't close. Uh, you can hear two almost completely different stories. So when I say no one is an expert... <clears throat> I think it's inherent in the religion and some of the things we'll talk about tonight and especially a couple of weeks from tonight that make that very difficult to be an expert. Now, I do hope I'm fair. I do hope I'm accurate. I think I got the history pretty well right. Uh, and I try, especially tonight, not to do too much interpreting from the history. I'm just going to kind of give you facts. Uh, but even though I'm not an expert, I hope I'm fair. Uh, secondly... This is not a scholarly dissertation on Islam. It is not a conversion guide. It's not something that you're supposed to take and say, aha, I can go talk to Muslims now and convert them to Christ because I know all this. What this is, the next few weeks, and I think we'll take four weeks on this, what it is is what everything else in this series has been, a struggle to understand the times, to try to make some sense out of this. And when I say that, I don't know if you're in the 
same boat I am. I guess that you are. I watch the news and I see what's happening around the world. And I don't understand it. I don't know how this stuff goes on. I mean, I hear on one hand that Islam is a religion of peace. And, you know, I know Muslims. and They're nice people. But then I watch the news and I see what happens and what is happening and what has been happening for centuries, for that matter. Uh, but today, in Egypt, there are Christians fleeing the country. 100,000 of them have fled already because of the elections a couple of months ago. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood won the elections. They're in power now. They're starting to persecute the Christians. The Christians are being killed. Because of an election. Okay. Uh, today in Nigeria, which is over half Christian and less than half Muslim. In Nigeria, thousands of Christians are being killed. C continually. Uh, because a group, and you can say, well, it's a small radical group. Maybe it is, but they're running things. And they have told the elected president, who happens to be a Christian, that he should either convert to Islam or resign. And that they will keep attacking and they will keep killing Christians until, let me get the quote exactly, that we will attack until we reach our goal of establishing an Islamic state. They said, Christians and the Nigerian state are our enemies. So that's the kind of stuff that's in the news. And, you know, it's not unique. It, you go on to see all the, the brutalities and beheadings and honor killings of women, and et cetera, et cetera. And then you hear somebody else come on and say, no, Islam is a religion of peace. And I, I'm not making a judgment here. I'm not trying to tell you I have the answer. I'm just saying that gives you some cognitive dissonance. You know, you just can't quite put this all together. It's maybe the classic understanding the times lesson. I don't understand the times. So that's what this series is an attempt to be, uh, is to seek an answer, at least to appease myself, where I can say, okay, I kind of understand how that happened. I don't think I'll ever understand completely what goes on, but if I can kind of get my hands around it and explain it from the basis of history and the religion, I'll be happy. Um, all right, so those are all the disclaimers. Now, let's start with some history and just kind of track the uh, development of Islam. And we're going to go way back. Uh, we're going to go 2,000 years B.C. or thereabouts. And if you read in uh, uh, Genesis, you find a story about Abraham. Abraham's father of the faithful. Abraham was promised a son. Everybody knows the story here. He was promised a son with Sarah. The son didn't come in his time expectations. Uh, so he lay with Hagar, the handmaid of Sarah, and had a son named Ishmael. Later he had the promised son uh, named Isaac from, from Sarah. Now, that created some problems in that family. I think it's an understatement to say, uh, caused some disturbances there in that family. Uh, but one verse particular is kind of interesting, a couple of verses. Genesis 16, 
uh, Hagar was wondering what to do with Ishmael, and she had been thrown out of the house and all of that. And the angel talked to Hagar, and I put this on here for you. The angel of the Lord also said to Hagar, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He, Ishmael, will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Okay? Now, that was a prophecy that the angel gave about Ishmael before he was born. And you can say, okay, that applied to his lifetime, or you can take a bigger view and say, well, maybe that applied to, to something a little bit bigger. But that's where this started, you'll find out in just a moment when we get to Muhammad. Now, Ishmael's not the father of all of the Muslims. Muslim doesn't come along for 3,300 years or so. But it's in general, it's, you can say that Ishmael was the father of the Arabic nations and uh, Isaac, father of the Semitic nations, the Jewish nations, the Jewish peoples. Okay? So that started things. Now, then Abraham, who was the father of the faithful, he had Isaac. We already mentioned that. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob became Israel. Israel had the 12 tribes, the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes. One of them was Judah. From Judah came Jesus. And from Jesus came Christianity. Now, that was pretty quick history, i got to admit, but uh, <laughs> that's how it went. From Abraham came Jesus, and Jesus started a religion, we can call it, of Christianity. People that follow Jesus. Many of them came from Judaism. Many of them came from the Gentile worlds, but they began to follow Jesus. Well, if we read the book of Acts, we see what happened. The people that followed Jesus went to tell other people about Jesus. Some of them went on purpose, like Paul, he went to all different lands and told people about Jesus. He would go into the city. He would go to the synagogue since he was Jewish. He would preach to them, and uh, he was allowed to speak, and he'd end up telling them about Jesus. When he wrote to the people that he converted to Christianity with his logic and reason and testimony, when he wrote back to them later, he said, what you're supposed to do is live a quiet life. You're supposed to work hard. You're supposed to take care of yourself. You're supposed to be ready to give an answer when anybody asks you about the hope that was within you. And Christians that lived like that spread Christianity. Now, I said Paul went on purpose. A lot of Christians went because they were forced to. They were persecuted in Rome and in Jerusalem, and they, they had to leave. And where they went, that's what they did. They lived a good life. They were honest. They worked hard. People paid attention to them. They noticed that they handled things differently than other people, and they gave them an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Through that method, Christianity spread. It went out from Jerusalem. It began to spread wherever Christians went. It went into the Near East. It went west into the Roman Empire. 
Pretty soon it was, during the Middle Ages, it was common all through Europe. And when the Europeans started to send people around the world and explore other places, Christianity spread to other lands. It became the world's largest religion. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian in that whole history was just sweet and wonderful and loving. Uh, There were some bad guys. (laughs) Some bad things happened. They got confused with military force sometimes and other things. But in general, you can safely say that Christianity spread peacefully. So, Christianity had spread all over the the known world, basically, by the Middle Ages. Now, in 570 A.D. in Mecca, down in Arabia, a man named Muhammad was born. And uh, Muhammad, um, yeah, I got my notes confused here. The culture that he was born into was very idolatrous. In the area he lived in, around Mecca, there were like 360 different idols or something I read. Everybody had their own idol. The tribe, each tribe had their own idol. And bear in mind, this is a tribal society. This is not a modern 20th century kind of civilization. This is a tribal, nomadic uh, group of people. And they had a lot, a lot of idols, a lot, a lot of different gods. Muhammad traveled to Syria when he was a young man. And in Syria, he learned about Christianity. He learned about Judaism. He learned about the book, the Bible. And he obviously studied it some because he knew quite a bit about it. When he was 40, he began to uh, preach against idolatry. He became very convinced that idolatry was wrong. And perhaps because of the influence that he had learned in Syria, or or the Bible that he had read perhaps, or something, uh, he came to believe that you ought to worship one God. There ought to only be one God. He became monotheistic. And he became very, very serious about that. And he started to preach it in his area of Mecca, uh, he decided that he was a, a prophet of God in some way, and he began to preach this one God uh, religion, and they didn't like it. Okay, Bear in mind that a lot of people in Mecca made their living selling idols, <laughs> kind of like Paul got in trouble in Ephesus. Well, Muhammad got in trouble in Mecca. They ran him out, he and his followers had to leave. So they made the flight, it's called, in uh, Islam. They made the flight up to Medina. It wasn't Medina then. It was uh, something else, and they renamed it that uh, after he got control there. Uh, Moved up there in 622 and stayed for a few years. And while he was there, he kind of developed his personality, Uh, who he was. Uh, He just told people that he was one of God's prophets. In fact, he was the greatest prophet. And he taught that there was one true God, the God of Abraham, but that things had gotten messed up, and the true path to God was not through Isaac, 
like we just detailed. Not through Isaac and Judah and Jesus and Christianity. The true path to God was supposed to come through Ishmael. And he taught that there were a lot of prophets of God. Adam was the first prophet. Moses was a prophet. Abraham was a prophet. Lots of different prophets. And Jesus was the 24th prophet of God. He was a good man. He was a prophet. And he taught some about God. Muhammad said, I am the 25th prophet. I'm the last one. I'm the greatest. I'm the final one. And what I'm teaching you is it. All the other stuff that Adam and Moses and uh, Abraham and Jesus and all of them, what they taught was true when they taught it, but it's been all messed up. And we honor, we revere the book, the Bible, the the first five books basically, the writings of Moses, the Psalms, the Gospels. He even said we revere the Gospels because they're about the great prophet Jesus. But over the years, they've been contaminated. They've been messed up. It's not the true story. So what I'm giving you is the true story. And I am getting it directly from God, who he called Allah. I'm getting it directly from Allah. Through his angel, Gabriel. Gabriel is dictating it to me, and I'm writing it down. Okay? Verbatim, from God, that's what these are, these revelations that I'm giving you. Okay? So that was his message. That was what he taught when he had moved to Medina. Um, at the same time, he began to build a military force. He was a warlord, is a kind way to say it, and he wanted more territory. His followers began to fight for him, and he began to spread out from Medina. After a while, he had enough power and enough soldiers, etc., that would fight for him, that they moved back to Mecca, they retook Mecca, and he made that his capital. Uh, Then he began to send military expeditions out to make more converts to his religion, Islam. Uh, he finally basically took all of Arabia, which we call Saudi Arabia today, but the, the Arab Peninsula there, he took all of that before his death. And then when he died, his followers did a couple of things. One thing is they collected all of his writings, all of his revelations, and they collected them and put them in a book, the Koran. That's all of the verbatim revelations from Gabriel, from Allah to Gabriel to Muhammad. They collected all of them in the Quran. That is their holy book. <coughs> Excuse me. They also collected a lot of things written about Muhammad. A little bit like we were talking this morning, the traditions of the elders, and plus the Torah. They had the Quran plus things that people had written or seen or talked about Muhammad and how he did things and what he taught about other things. Uh, And those traditions or those writings, uh, they kept also. And what they had then was not just a revelation of God like we have in the Bible. 
But they had rules for everything. They had rules for society. They had rules for law. They had rules for military. They they had everything that Muhammad taught. Now, bear in mind, Muhammad got these revelations over about 20 years, 23 years, I think. And that's one reason, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks more, but I think that's one reason that people read the Quran and they come up with different things. Because he, he evolved or changed as he wrote these things. Okay, when he started, he was kind of a mystic nobody. Just a member of a tribe out in the middle of Mecca and nobody knew who he was. By the end, he was the greatest prophet of God. And his his self-image changed a little bit, I think, and he started to write different things. He, he changed a bit, and we'll talk about the difference between the Bible and the Quran uh, next week or next time we're together. Um, anyhow, so the, the followers collected the Quran, plus all of these writings about him, the traditions. Uh, but the other thing they did was they did what Muhammad told them to do. And Muhammad told them in the Quran that he had been commanded by Allah to, to put the quote on here, to fight against the people until they testify that none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So what he wrote in the Quran and what he says is that his followers, those who have submitted to Islam, to God, to Allah, are supposed to fight against people who don't believe that Allah is the one true God and that Muhammad is his messenger. Fight against them until they do believe that. His followers took that seriously. They believed he was the last greatest prophet of God. They believed they were supposed to do that, and off they went. And they did an amazing job. They began to move out from Arabia, and in just a very few years, they had spread a long, long ways. Now, when I say they spread, they went militarily, and they made converts, some converts, and they also forced some converts. Because what he, Muhammad had said in the Quran was that when you move into an area of infidels, they are supposed to convert to Islam. They are supposed to submit to Allah. And if they don't, you can tax them. That's the first option. The first option is convert to Islam. If they don't want to do that, you can tax them and make them pay you to remain an infidel. Or you can go to the third option, which is kill them. Kill them with the sword. Okay, so a lot of these people that the, the followers of, Al, of Muhammad moved into their country, you look those options over, and converting sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> so a lot of them did, but also a lot of people were killed. But they spread from there, and I put some of the the countries down there. Um, they basically went all over northern Africa. They went up into the Middle East. They went over into Persia, Spain. Uh, they'd moved over into India and Pakistan uh, with just in a few years. Okay. Uh, in fact, bring me that map up now. And let's look at this. 
um, and it's not labeled in today's countries, but maybe you recognize the area enough, and if you've had geography any time too recently, you might get it. Uh, the darkest brown part down there, that's Arabia. Uh, the three dots along the left there are Medina and Mecca. And that's where Muhammad expanded his religion during his lifetime. Okay? After his lifetime, in just the first ten years or so, his followers had moved out into the pinkish areas and into the tan areas. Now, going left, uh, you got Egypt there on the left of Arabia, and then Libya, and then Algeria, and then Morocco, all along the northern part of Africa. And then up there in the upper left-hand corner, that's Spain. Uh, they moved into Spain and had taken over Spain in just a few years after his death. Uh, moving to the right, up in there is the, the Middle East, where the, all the troubles are today. Iraq and Syria and Turkey and Iran, which was Persia then. And then on the far right over there is India and Pakistan and Afghanistan. They'd moved into all those areas. Okay? That's a startling spread of a religion. But remember again, their method that Muhammad taught them to use, uh, it was pretty successful. Now, People began to get a little nervous about this. Uh, of course, the countries that were overtaken were very nervous. But you notice just up above Spain there, uh, north of that is France. That's where things came to a halt. Okay. Uh, in 732, a guy named Charles Martel was the, the general. The nickname was the Hammer. Uh, he stopped Islam warriors from coming up into France. They were headed that way, but he stopped them. He defeated them. So that stopped that path up into Europe. And then about the same time, or actually a little bit later, uh, the uh, Genghis Khan and his gang came from the Far East and started pushing from the East. And they started taking back lands that the Muslims had taken. And it was a, it was a bloody thing. Genghis Khan was not a sweet fellow, but they moved from the east and basically pushed them back down. At the same time, the Christians started pushing. This had spread so fast and so far, and the Muslims were moving into Italy. Believe it or not, or I mean, that's where the Pope is. But they were moving in. And so about 1095, uh, Pope Urban said, okay, we've had enough. This has spread too far. Christians are being persecuted too much. We've got to stop this. So he called for a crusade. Now, if you read history or listen to history, crusades are the, the most vile thing that Christianity ever did. And they were kind of, kind of tough, but they were a response to the Muslim invasion, if you will. Okay? And there were seven crusades in all. And by the t when you put the seven crusades, Genghis Khan and France pushing back, basically stopped the spread of Islam and pushed it back down to where it was more originally from. Now they still got influence. They still had areas. And thanks to one of Muhammad's teachings, one of his teachings was that if a land ever belonged to Islam, it always belonged to Islam. Okay. 
So no matter if you've been thrown out or what, you go back and get it. You go back and take it because it's yours rightfully. Okay. So, um, okay, you can turn the map off now and turn the lights back up. That's kind of, I just wanted to see how fast it spread and then how it got pushed back down. There was kind of a golden age of uh, Islam in there for a period, but once they got pushed back down, uh, that all kind of died out and they didn't do much for a number of centuries. Now, in the last century, uh, they have a lot of petrodollars and they're starting to spread elsewhere and do things again. But that's the history of how Islam spread and how it got pushed back down into its originally ter- original territory and is weakened quite a bit. Okay, so that's history and origin. Now, I've been using some terms that you may have, I know you've heard them all, but what do they mean exactly? Let's just do a few basics of Islam and then we'll quit for the night. Uh, Muhammad, or Mohammed, that's spelled a number of different ways, was the founder of Islam. He said he was the last and greatest prophet of God. He was the 25th and final prophet of God. Uh, Islam means surrender or submission. It means you, you submit to Allah. You do his will. That's what the religion is all about, is submitting yourself to obeying Allah. Muslim or Moslem is actually the same word. It's a, a participle, or I've read the te- technical terms, but it's a form of Islam. It means one who submits, uh, one who follows the religion of Islam, the one who submits to Allah. Okay? Now, Allah, or Allah, it's pronounced a lot, is Islam's name for the one true God. And I know you've heard, if you watch any news or read any newspapers or whatever, is that they worship one God, we worship one God. We worship the same God. In one sense, you could say that because we're both monotheistic, although Islam doesn't think we are. Uh, They think the absolute worst sin in the world is to worship Jesus Christ because he's another God. And there's only one God. The the Trinity does not compute. If you got one God, you got one God. And no other. Um, So a lot of people, even scholars, say, no, Christians and Muslims worship the same God. They both worship one God, the God. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, what we know about God, Jehovah, is what he revealed in his book. What we know about Allah is what Muhammad told us about him in his book. They aren't the same. How Jehovah revealed himself to be is not like Muhammad said Allah is like. So we got two different descriptions. So I personally wouldn't say we worship the same God. The other problem is this term Allah, or Allah, that was actually the name of the moon god that Muhammad's tribe worshipped. Remember there were 360 gods, and each tribe had their own, and each person had their own basically. Well, Muhammad's tribe worshipped the moon god, 
as their primary God. And he chose that name for the one true God. And the crescent moon, if you pay much attention, is the symbol of Islam. So that's who their God is, is Allah. Now, the Quran, or Koran is the older spelling. It means literally the recitation. They believe that it is the verbatim word of God. Okay. Now, we believe the Bible's the you know, inerrant word of God also, but there's a little bit of difference. Okay. Uh, they teach, for instance, from what I've studied, because I always wondered how they argue about what this verse means and what this word means so much. Yeah. And what they teach is that it is only accurate in Arabic. If it's in any other language, it's messed up. Okay. Yeah, you can't quite get it if it's in any other language. It's got to be in Arabic to be right, to be what God actually said, because it came verbatim in Arabic from Allah to Gabriel to Muhammad. They also teach that the Bible, although they revere it or they honor it, supposedly, they believe it, they say, that it's all messed up. And since it's wrong, everything where it's wrong is superseded by the Koran. So that's what they teach about their holy book. Uh, The Hadith, the, the collected traditions is what they also follow. It's the words and deeds and stories about Muhammad. And that's the basis of all Islamic law, of social laws, of, of daily practice, of how you do everything. Now we'll talk about Sharia law in a few weeks, but that, that's where they get everything. And their scholars, their ayatollahs interpret it and say, here's what the, the ruling is on that. Okay. Jihad is a word that we hear a lot, and you get different Muslims on the TV talking about it. They, they will argue about what it means. Uh, literally, it means struggle. Okay? So the one that's arguing for a peaceful interpretation of Islam will say it's just a spiritual struggle. It's like Christians would say, I'm struggling against temptation. I'm trying to be more like God. I, I want to be more like Christ. It's a daily struggle for me. Well, that's all jihad means. Okay, a, a more radical Islamist will say, no, it's a holy war. And we are commanded by the Quran to fight a holy war. We are supposed to keep fighting until all infidels submit to Allah. Okay? Well, that's what they did in that first few years after Muhammad died. Uh, so, but the principle of jihad uh, is spiritual struggle or a holy war against the infidels. And once again, you can get two interpretations. Well, you can probably get 20 interpretations in between there, but that's the two big ones. Okay, now, how does Islam operate? What do they believe? What are they supposed to do? Well, there are five pillars of Islam. It's the expected behavior for a Muslim. It's what you're supposed to do. Um, And at judgment, what's going to happen is Allah is going to weigh how you did on these things. He's keeping track. He's going to weigh how you did on these things against 
your evil deeds, what you did wrong. Okay? He's going to put them in the balances, and if you've done enough good things, if you've done these five things enough and scored enough points, then you'll get to go to heaven if it outweighs your evil deeds. Okay? It's definitely a religion of works. We'll talk about that more in the weeks ahead. But this is the expected behavior. The five pillars are, the first one is confession of faith. And that's pretty simple. You just have to say this phrase. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And you say that over and over. You say it a lot. You say it three times to become a Muslim. Okay? If you want to become a Muslim, you repeat that phrase three times and you're a Muslim. Okay? And then once you become a Muslim, that is a good deed to continually say that and repeat it a lot. Okay? Secondly is the prayers. You're supposed to, wherever you live, face Mecca and pray five times a day at specific times. Now, there's a few dispensations for that. If you're in a situation where you can't stop and do that, there's ways to, to, to do it other ways. But in general, saying those prayers at the right time, facing the right direction, counts points. Saying them in a mosque counts more points. It's how you accumulate these good deeds. Third is giving of alms. You're supposed, Muhammad did say, to support the poor, help the poor and the orphans. And so Muslims give. Uh, a lot of them discharge that duty by giving to schools or mosques or hospitals. Uh, but they are supposed to give, and that counts. Fourth is a fast. Uh, the month of Ramadan is a, a month in the Islamic calendar. And for that month, from dawn to dusk, if you're a good Muslim, you're supposed to abstain from food, from drink, from smoking, from sex, and a few other things from dawn to dusk, every day for a month. Okay, After dusk, you can eat and drink and the other things, but dawn to dusk, you can't. Okay? That's the fast, one month out of the year. And then the fifth one is the pilgrimage or the hajj, where you physically go to Mecca. If you're physically able, if you're economically able, if you can afford it, every Muslim is supposed to go to Mecca one time in their life. Now, if you go more, you obviously score more points. But, no, I mean, really, I'm not, I mean, they've got a formula for this. I'm not making that up. But if you can, you're supposed to go once a year. I mean, one time in your life, excuse me. And it's a huge thing. I mean, millions of people go to Mecca at the right time. Um, of year, make the, the, the pilgrimage. Okay? Now, some places you can read that the sixth pillar, or sometimes they combine the first two and make it the fifth pillar, is jihad. Uh, a lot of Islamists will tell you that, uh, that there's really six pillars and jihad to wage holy war is the, the last one. But those are the five most recognized pillars of Islam, and that's how you, that's what's expected of you as a Muslim. Okay, that's enough for tonight. Next uh, week we'll do some Thanksgiving stuff, and then, uh, no, we're going to do it, I'm going to continue next week. I decided we would not observe the holiday on Sunday night. We're just going to keep right on going here and uh, get lesson number two in, and we're going to talk about some of the differences between Islam and Christianity. I put on your paper the differences. That's a Mistake. I should have put in some of the differences because there's obviously a lot more. 
But we'll talk about some of the differences. The week after that, we're going to talk about the problem with Islam. What I've concluded creates some of these problems that we see in the world and what it is in Islam that does that. And then the last week we'll talk about what's a Christian to do, uh, what should be our stance, how do we talk to Muslims, how do we deal with them, how do we treat them. Uh, We'll talk about that on the last one. So that's the first lesson on Islam, and come back if we want to cover some more. lesson is yours tonight. If you're here and need to respond in any way, we always sing a song of invitation and make that easy for you. So we're going to stand and sing. If you need to come, come.